Welcome to Environmentality, a podcast for current environmental news, lectures, and interviews with the experts. I'm your host, Brendan Anthony. Let's dive on in. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today I'm going to be bringing you guys an episode about animal agriculture. Now I think my perspective, my take, my philosophy on animal agriculture is going to be very unique and and probably very different than maybe most environmentalists. I think me coming from an agricultural background, I have a very different perspective on perhaps the reality of agriculture, but also just on the understanding of ecology in an agro ecosystem. And so we've talked a lot about issues with animal agriculture, but although I'm I'm very cognizant and understanding of those issues, I believe that we can find solutions in how we are producing animals and in particular cows, beef, and be able to propagate sustainable production systems that have integrated animals into that agro ecosystem. And so ultimately, my whole philosophy comes down to very simple phrasing. And I stole this from Dr. Mark Hyman and his book, Food Fix. It's a great book. If you guys haven't read it, I would definitely check it out. But he simply says, the problem is not the cow, it's the how. And that just so simply and eloquently states the issue of both our skewed perspective on what animals can truly do for our environment and also how degrading the way that we are producing meat is primarily here in the United States. Again, the issue is not the animal itself. Animals are not bad innately, but how we are producing them, how we are managing them in our agricultural sector today in an industrialized way, in this factory farm way, that's the real issue. That's the culprit. And that's what's leading to such an environmental impact from this sector. And so again, the problem is not the cow, it's the how. So let's get into the why the how is bad. (laughs) Why is industrialized animal agriculture bad? And why are we seeing such devastating impacts on the environment as a result of this production system? Okay, so first and foremost, when we think about our agricultural system today, it is very segregated. What I mean by that is that agricultural industries are very specialized. They're very simplistic. I'm a corn grower. All I'm going to grow is corn. I'm a cattle rancher. All I'm going to produce is cattle. There's very distinct sectors, right? This was not always the case. When we think about the initiation of agriculture, right, it wasn't this idea of cherry picking what you're best at and hyper specializing and using mechanization and and making it like a factory, right? This all came during the industrial revolution when again, machinery and factories kind of came on the scene and optimized efficiency. And trust me, it's very efficient, right? That's why we're able to produce so much food in this context. But, But that's not the way the environment works. That's not the way ecosystems work. When we think about the natural world and we think about this idea of agroecology, this idea of mimicking our natural systems in our agricultural production systems, what we see in the natural world is a very integrated approach, right? We are not segregating animals and plants in the environment. 
The environment is integrated. You have rich biodiversity. You have animals of all shapes and sizes. You have plants. You have microorganisms. You have such a complex compilation of all these organisms living in one space. And the ecosystem thrives because of that, right? One of the hallmarks of resiliency, one of the hallmarks of health in an ecosystem is its diversity, is its integration. And so as we shift into more of these specialized, industrialized, and segregated forms of agricultural production, we are going to see the loss or the degradation of its sustainability. The reason why? Well, simply from a carbon perspective. Let's just think about this for a moment. When we think about where all the corn is produced, right? All the corn is produced on the Midwest. And then let's think about where cattle is being raised or dairy is being raised. This is happening more on the western side of the states. You have a lot of cattle ranches in Montana, Wyoming, and dairies in California, right? And so if we think about the disconnect already very implicit in where our growing regions are, corn and soy in the Midwest, animals on the West Coast, you already start to see that in order to get the grain from the Midwest to the Western states, what do you have to do? You have to ship it, right? So you're shipping the food for animals from one region to another. And that can be a couple hundred miles. That can be a couple thousand miles, right? That has a carbon footprint. We are consuming fossil fuels simply to move food that is being grown in one location to the animal being raised in another. And then what happens? Well, like all animals, as they consume a lot of calories in food, they have a lot of waste. And so where does that waste go? Well, if we are going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're going to convert that waste and bring it back to the farm to add nutrients back into the soil, how are those nutrients going to get there? Again, by fossil fuels, by transportation, that heavy load of nutrients can then be transported back to the farm. Most cases, that's not even happening, right? We see lots of pollution. We see lots of runoff, right? But in the best context, it's being transported back. And again, you have a heavy reliance on fossil fuels. And so you can clearly see the issue of a segregated agricultural system because it's so propped up on the reliance and the availability of fossil fuels. This was not historically the case, and this should not be the way moving forward. Furthermore, the other issue in this context is that the cows in particular, they're not being fed grass, which is what they are supposed to eat. They're being fed grain, things like corn, right? Cows are designed to be able to convert cellulose, which is a really big, complex, starchy compound in grass, and they can convert that cellulose into protein. This is incredible. There is Nothing else on the planet that can convert grass into protein. It is an incredible process. And the reason why they can do this is because cows are what are called ruminant animals, meaning they have a four-compartment stomach in which the rumen, which occupies 75% of that stomach volume, which holds about 40 gallons, can, with the help of microorganisms, break down and digest cellulose from these plant cell walls and convert this and synthesize this into proteins along with vitamin B and vitamin K. And so cows have this unique, crazy ability to literally convert non-protein into protein. 
I'm telling you, this is the most magnificent process probably on the face of the planet next to photosynthesis. And I'm telling you, it cannot be replicated. They've tried. And so animals serve this incredible capacity to convert non-protein into protein. It just really can't be done. You know, and we're, we're trying to do it in the lab now and we're, we're growing, you know, tissue cultures of, of meat and in a cell and in the lab. And, you know, it's it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's very fascinating. But I just... I fear that as we move away from our natural world, as we become less connected with our food, that has a really big depreciation on our culture and on our society. So instead of having to grow our food in labs, why don't we just produce them in the way that mimics natural ecosystems? Because clearly they've been thriving very fine on their own for many, many years. Furthermore, when we think about natural grassland systems, they are not vacant. They are occupied with large herbivores like buffalo, like elephants. You have to understand when we think about cows, they are supposed to be grazing on grasslands. When we think about natural ecosystems, grasslands have large herbivores. So why aren't we producing our animals on big grasslands? They are designed uniquely to be able to convert grass to protein. So why are we shipping them corn from thousands of miles away, adding more carbon into the atmosphere, relying on fossil fuels, and giving them a food that they can't even really necessarily break down. Corn is so starchy, it can't even be consumed, right? It doesn't get broken down, it just bulks them up, makes them gassy, it makes them bloated, it, it adds a lot of fat, but it, it doesn't help them in their quality of life. And again, as a result, they get sick and then they need medication. This is another issue with industrialized animal agriculture, is that you have high, high, high levels of population density, and you have cows living on top of each other. They're sick. Their their water is all being shared, right? They're not standing six feet apart wearing masks, right? The uh, prevalence of disease transmission is very easy in these low biodiversity, high population density situations. And if a disease were to hit, it's very easily passed around to everybody because everyone is susceptible and they're living in close proximity. As a result, we now see a heavy reliance on antibiotics in our agricultural systems, primarily going to animals. Why is this an issue? Well, again, as we consume this meat, we're now getting low doses of antibiotics, which is now making bacteria in our bodies resistant to these antibiotics because they're getting just this low dosage all the time as we consume meat. And so when we do suffer from a really horrible bacterial disease and we go in to get antibiotics, they aren't as effective. And in some cases, they're not effective at all. And we have to go to stronger and stronger medications. And, and really, there's a ceiling on how far we can really go. And so if we want to make sure that our medicine is still effective for us as humans, we can't just continue to eat and consume low doses of this all the time. And so again, we need to pull the antibiotics out of the equation. We need to not be feeding our animals so much of these antibiotics. We need to get them in an environment where disease transmission is not so prevalent. What does that look like? Again, open grasslands where they can free range, be healthy, spread out, have clean air, clean water, and a natural ecosystem where disease transmission is not so prevalent. So why isn't that obtainable? Why aren't all these things obtainable now? Well, they are, but the problem is we are not going to be able to produce as efficiently or as much beef or as much meat in this type of context. There is certainly a high level of efficiency 
when you cram everything together and you're just bulking them up on corn and you're feeding them all the medicines and you're killing them off quickly, there is a very quick, efficient turnaround when you are producing meat in that way. And that's why we're able to sustain the heavy amounts of meat consumption, especially in our Western diet. And so that's why when we think about all of these cons and we think about the climate and we think about daily actions we can do and partake in to help reduce this impact, reducing meat consumption is probably one of the easiest and number one ways to do so. But that only pertains to this industrialized agricultural system. And so the question is, are animals bad? No. But in this industrialized context, of course, they are and eating less of them is going to be helpful for the environment. And it's also going to be helpful for your health as well. Because one of the other issues with cows eating corn is that in seeds, there is a fatty acid called omega-6. This omega-6 is known for maintaining fats and it's essentially storage for the seed, right? When you plant a seed, it has to have some sort of energy innately in it so that when you place it into the ground, it has energy to make it to the surface of the soil. And from there, it can start to then photosynthesize. But a seed requires energy compacted inside of it in order to go the distance from however deep you plant it in the soil to reach the surface. That energy is propagated by fatty acids such as omega-6s. And so when we feed a lot of these grains like corn, which is, again, the seed of that plant, to cows, we are elevating the levels of omega-6s in that beef, which then we consume, and then we get high levels of omega-6s, which does what? Which leads to coronary disease, which leads to heart issues, which leads to obesity, because again, what is that omega-6 trained to do? Store fats, which does what? It elevates our levels of cardiovascular disease and coronary diseases. It, it leads to heart attacks. It leads to inflammation of our blood vessels and clotting. And, and again, that goes back to what the omega-6 is designed to do which is store fats. And we don't want fats in our bloodstream, right? We don't want to have these issues. What we do want is omega-3s. Omega-3s are embedded in the plant material. It's part of what is in chloroplast, the pigment that is leading to the green coloration of plants. This is why cows if they're eating grass, they're going to have high levels of omega-3s. And omega-3s are incredible for our bodies, right? This is why a lot of people eat fish because fish have high levels of omega-3s because they consume the algae, which also have chlorophyll and chloroplast in their cells as well. And so we need to be consuming things that consume green things, not corn, but grass. And so this is another reason why eating grass-fed beef is healthier for you than traditional grain-fed beef. Because again, omega-3s can help reduce obesity, cardiovascular disease, and also have tremendous benefits for neurological symptoms and helping reduce Alzheimer's and, and helping memory retention, right? Omega-3s are incredible for your body, but you're only going to get them if you're consuming greens or consuming animals that are consuming greens. And so in summary, greens over grains. <laughs> it's not the problem of the cow. It's the how. It's the problem of the grains, not the greens. There you go. <laughs> Just in summary, for the negative impacts of industrialized animal agriculture, high population density, one species, so low biodiversity, poor sanitation, heavy reliance on antibiotics and growth hormones. There are issues with animal welfare, again, being you know trapped in cages, whatever it may be. There's a heavy reliance on fossil fuels, again, to transport food into their habitat. 
and then vice versa, the waste that needs to then be transported out of that area. However, the massive pro here is that we can produce a lot of meat in a very small area. So let's now transition. I've just gone through a whole litany of issues with the how of why animal production, particularly beef, has such a huge impact on the environment and also our health in terms of this industrialized agricultural system. When we think about a sustainable version of this, if we can think about the ideal, which is again, wanting to mimic our agricultural systems after ecology and natural systems, we think about a context where where animals are first and foremost integrated into an agricultural system that is also producing vegetables or even just the grass that cows are supposed to be eating. What I mean by this is that animals and plants can be grown and should be grown in the same plot of land. This is why when we talk about grass-fed, this is a very ideal system. But so often, if you're not managing the cattle in a sustainable way, you can lead to desertification, right? If you just go and throw a bunch of cows out on a piece of land, they can overgraze, they remove all the grass and all the vegetation on the soil, they can even uproot a lot of the vegetation. This leads to a lot of bare exposed land, and so then when heavy rains come, that can wash away soil, you lead to topsoil erosion that then leads to desertification and so again for so long desertification has been attributed to excessive animal agriculture however if you are managing cattle in a way that is rotating them along these different pastures you can prevent the issue of overgrazing and thus desertification and this is something that alan savory a conservation biologist is really pioneering with the savory institute and this idea of high intensity interval rotations where you put cattle into a small pen on a piece of land for a day or two and then you rotate them to the next and they say that for a day or two and then you rotate them to the next and let's say you have 30 paddocks on your piece of land and every day you rotate the cattle so then by the time the cattle get back to that first paddock after going through all 30 that grass has already regenerated in paddock number one and you can continue that process because what are the cattle doing as they graze well they're certainly chewing a lot of that grass which actually helps stimulate more growth but what it also is doing is sending carbon to the roots as cattle graze it is prioritizing the introduction of carbon into our soil which again, we talked about in a previous episode, which is called soil organic matter. And soil organic matter is one of the greatest and I think best ways to try and mitigate the impacts of climate change because now we're pulling carbon dioxide that was once in the air. It's being converted into our plant material. And then as it's being grazed, it's then being exported into the roots and being stored now. The carbon is being sequestered in the soil. What are the cows also doing as they graze? Well, they're defecating, as I mentioned. And instead of shipping all that waste away, let's use it right there on site in the pasture. That manure can go straight into the soil again, contributing to more organic matter, but also helping to fertilize the soil to be able to grow more grass. And so when we think about cattle free ranging, there's a bit of an issue with that. But when we think about them rotating in a very systematic way, in this high intensity rotational method, we are allowing grass to regenerate, we're allowing the grassland to store carbon, and we're adding fertility and we're building topsoil, and the entirety of the ecosystem is being benefited from this process. 
There's a farmer on the East Coast that's actually taking this one step further. His name is Joel Salatin. He's a very prolific, regenerative agricultural farmer. And he has this idea of integrated agriculture happening. He always calls himself a grass farmer. But in reality, he's also producing a ton of meat because what he's doing is, again, integrating animals onto his grassland. He has all the cows in a paddock one day, then he rotates them off. And as the cows consume the grass, they defecate. And then he brings on what's called a chicken tractor, which is just like a trailer that has hundreds of chickens in it. And the chickens are then moved into the paddock where the cows were the day before. And what the chickens do is that they go through and they pick through all the cow patties, eating all the insects, all the larvae, whatever it may be. And as they're doing that, they're scratching through the manure and they're literally spreading the manure around on the grass. And they're being used as this kind of mechanical tool to spread the manure around to help get an even distribution of fertilizer on the grass, which then helps, again, it to grow. And so, again, you see this beautiful integrated system that's mimicking ecology where you have cows and chickens and grass and all the microorganisms in the soil that are benefiting from this ecological, biodiverse agricultural system. And the beautiful part about this is that there are no fossil fuels required, right? You don't have to ship the manure anywhere. You don't need to ship the food to the cows. It's all there on one site. Again, this is not segregated, specialized agriculture. This is integrated and diverse agriculture. This is a style of farming that's really catching a lot of traction here in recent years. And, and I believe it really started with Alan Savory and the Savory Institute and this idea of holistic management and all the work he's been doing in Africa and then translating that now into agriculture here in the United States. And then Joel Salatin really started to spearhead this when Michael Pollan started documenting him and he was in the documentary Food, Inc., and then from there, now you have new farmers like Gabe Brown, who is really pioneering this world of regenerative agriculture. And I think all of these guys are so influential. And you're starting to see the domino effect across the nation where farmers are starting to wake up to this idea of we don't need to be highly productive. We need to be highly profitable. And so often when we think about industrialized agriculture, it requires so many inputs of fertilizer and antibiotics and, and feed. It becomes so expensive. You have to maximize your production if you even want to scrape by in the black. Whereas if we rethink our mentality and we think about profitability, it becomes much easier to be profitable than it is to be productive. Because if we start using all the resources that are, are alone on our farm and we start farming in a way that is integrated and regenerative you don't need those inputs you don't need antibiotics because your cows are out in a healthy environment you don't need fertilizer because they're dropping it straight down onto your fields so you you see that if you have less inputs you don't need to produce as much and as a result it becomes much easier for you to be profitable and so this is a huge thing that's been happening now around the nation where some farmers are starting to wake up. And Gabe Brown does a really great job of this in his book called Dirt to Soil, where the last couple of chapters are dedicated to other farmers giving testimony about how they started to embrace this regenerative, integrated, holistic management from Joel Salatin and Alan Savory, and how they are now able to be more profitable. But again, when you farm this way, they actually end up producing more because you're farming in a way that just makes sense from an ecological point of view. And so I think one of the biggest criticisms here is, well, if everyone starts farming in this way where production isn't as prioritized, but rather profitability is, 
are we going to have enough meat to feed the world or to feed the nation? And I think that question is probably a bit difficult to answer, but I think if you want to just approach it from a simple perspective is, let's just say no. Let's just say if we grow food and we grow meat and we grow beef in this way, we're not going to be able to produce as much. However, the societal benefits of this is that we'll have cleaner water, less antibiotics in our food, we'll have less greenhouse gas emissions. And so from a public and environmental health perspective, we're going to have healthier food, which is going to translate to healthier people and a healthier environment. And so then what does that mean for us? Okay, there's not as much food, we have a better environment. What does that mean for you? Again, this gets back to my original intention, which is that we need to be consuming less meat overall. We have to be consuming less meat. It's not sustainable for us to be producing all this meat because if we want to keep up with the Western diet and we want to be able to satiate the desires of everybody wanting to eat meat with every single meal, the only real effective way to do that is this industrialized system. And what we're seeing more and more is that our society, our environment can't sustain that. It's just not possible. You guys heard the litany of issues. It's not feasible. What does that mean? It means eating less meat from an industrialized system. Animals and livestock production are not the issue, but the industrial hijacking of their management is. And we need to be promoting more farmers like Joel Salatin and like Gabe Brown, who are doing this in a sustainable, regenerative integrated fashion and that's where i believe if we are consuming meat from these people we're letting our money dictate the types of agricultural systems we want to support we're voting with our forks we are voting with our wallets if we want to support climate friendly agriculture going back to a previous episode where i talked about soil organic matter we need to support farmers that are practicing no-till low-till conservation ag promoting our soil health and promoting the ability for that soil to sequester carbon. In the same way, if we are promoting integrated agriculture where cows are feeding on grass and they're being rotated in a regenerative fashion, again, we are able to then support soil health and again, carbon sequestration. These are climate-friendly approaches to agriculture, and they can be extremely profitable and also productive. So that's basically all I'm going to say about cows. I'd love to just rattle off a few other examples where animals being integrated into agriculture can be extremely helpful and can solve certain issues. For example, one of the biggest issues in tree fruit, after you go through and harvest, you end up leaving a lot of fruit on the ground that was defected or deformed or had some sort of deficiency. And so a lot of that fruit just goes on the ground and becomes a host for potential fungal pathogens in the orchard. You have to send crews in to clean it up, or you go and mow it in, but a lot of the times it's not really picked up, and it just kind of rots in the field. Integrating pigs in this context can be extremely powerful because the pigs can go in, and they can eat all the food waste, all the rotting food. Again, they have really strong stomachs as well, and they can reduce all of that rotting fruit and food in your fields. In fact, there's a guy outside of Vegas that takes all the food scraps from Vegas and feeds it to his pigs. This guy is like a multimillionaire because he gets all this free food from food waste and converts it to all these high protein, amazing pork products. And so again, this is another way where we can eliminate the output of a system, an unwanted resource like rotting fruit and convert it into a resource that we do want, which is pork and sausage and ham and whatever it may be. So sanitation in a farm context is another great tool that animals can contribute to. 
we talked a little bit about manure in terms of fertilizer, but also as we talked a little bit about in episode two with Jeff about biogas, we can convert some of this methane into renewable resources. And so again, harnessing some of the animals' waste products and converting them into energy is another great opportunity for us to use animals in agriculture in a way that has a multitude of benefits. There's another farming system called silvo poultry. Silvo meaning the Latin word for forest, so trees, and then poultry being chicken, where you can integrate chickens into tree systems, again like orchards, and they can go through and they provide amazing pest control. They can eat the grasshoppers, they can eat all the insects, and then they also have the ability to be free range. There's a lot of grass in the alleyways of orchards that they can really embrace their innate chickenness, right, and, and, and graze around and also climb up onto low branches and wrap their talons around and, and roost and again express their innate chicken behavior. So this is another really interesting form of agriculture where, again, now chickens can be integrated into a agroforestry or orchard system. And lastly, another great benefit that animals have is that in areas where plants can't necessarily grow, like up in the Arctic Circle or in high altitudes where slopes are too steep and there's not enough topsoil to cultivate food in terms of plants, Animals serve as a great resource in those areas to be able to provide food for the inhabitants living in those areas. And so where plants do not grow, animals can actually thrive. And so again, they can be a very unique resource for people living in very remote areas that can't partake in traditional horticultural agriculture, but instead raise animals to be able to have food in their diet. Okay, I think I'm done. (laughs) there's a lot to cover there but i hope the case has been made and that again cows aren't the issue but the system that they are being produced in is and so if we are going to consume meat we need to be consuming it in the right way which is again promoting regenerative agricultural systems that are allowing their cows to be grass-fed and low density integrated into other forms of agriculture with a lot of other biodiversity this is the context where animals can be seen as good. Again, they can generate manure. They can help with carbon sequestration. They can help convert methane into energy. They can provide sanitation. They can provide food where nothing else can grow. Animals are beautiful. And again, getting back to that initial thing, they can convert cellulose into protein. They can convert non-protein into protein. And that is such a magnificent process that we need to harvest and cannot be vacant from our agricultural systems. But again, animals need to be incorporated in a sustainable way that mimics the natural world. At its essence, this is the realm of agroecology. And I believe that as we try to transition our agricultural systems closer to this ecological approach, we will find out that we are going to have a much healthier planet and we are going to be much healthier as a human species as well. In summary, if you're going to eat meat, and in particular beef, do your research, communicate with your farmers, go to farmers markets, ask what their production system is like. Are they rotating? Are they grass-fed? Are they integrating animals into their agricultural system? And are they doing that in a sustainable way? In this way, we can have a sustainable future for food and meat consumption across the world. If you want to learn more about these particular farmers I mentioned, again, Gabe Brown, Dirt to Soil is the name of the book. 
Michael Pollan also talks a lot about this in In Defense of Food and his other great book, Omnivore's Dilemma. And again, Dr. Mark Hyman's Food Fix. These are all great books to better understand how to eat, how to live in a climate-friendly way, and how to choose agricultural products and support farmers that are doing this in a sustainable fashion. So I can put those links in the show notes if you guys want to check them out. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'd appreciate any feedback you may have. And as always, I appreciate you guys sharing and shooting me a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much, and we'll see you here next week.